Welcome to the Billings Police Department Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode two, and we're going to be talking some downtown issues today. I'm Lieutenant Brandon Woolley, and today I'm here with uh, DBA Officer Brad Mansur and uh, Sean Graves. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Sean, uh, you, since you're uh, one of the first guests on the episode two, uh, I mean, you're a first civilian, would you kind of uh, uh, introduce yourself and explain who you are? Yeah, uh, my name is Sean Graves, and uh, I'm one of the owners of the Montana Brewing Company and Hooligans. Uh, we also have the big ale house in the Heights and a business in Missoula and a business in Helena. Excellent. Uh, and uh, so we brought you on the show today because mm-hmm. we're going to be talking some downtown issues, and we wanted some input and some perspective uh, from from somebody who's invested in downtown, uh, not only invested in, in, in business, but also invested in the community a little bit. So mm-hmm. welcome aboard. Thank you. Brad, uh, can you explain to the listeners uh, who you are and introduce yourself? So I'm Brad Manser. I'm a downtown resource officer for the DBA, which is the Downtown Billings Alliance. And it is a partnership between a nonprofit downtown and the police department where we have two officers paid for by a tax district in the downtown area. And we are specifically there for businesses. So instead of being subject to call uh, from dispatch, we are called on a phone line that we carry with us, a cell phone. Um, and businesses can call us for about any problem that they have downtown. And so we're a quicker response, a um, little more personal response. We get to know a lot of the businesses downtown and we get to know the problems um, and the problem people, the problem areas, and we try to address them in a community-oriented policing style. So let's uh, let's talk about the DBA just a little bit more and explain that you know, I, th- I think it's a, a group of businesses who have come together, and then that program has paid for the officer positions. Is that right? Yeah. So the program is paid for through the bid, which is a tax district in the downtown area. Um, all parts of town have different tax districts, and the downtown tax district has come together, and they have formed a nonprofit organization, the DBA. And the DBA is actually four different nonprofits paid for through these different tax revenues and in there we have the clean and safe program initiate or initiative which is myself officer Nichols right now um, and then there's a four-member street team that keep the streets clean they do snow removal sidewalks they hang Christmas lights and flower baskets in the summer and they keep the downtown looking pretty um, so the two officers are paid for fully through this tax increment and um, that frees up two officer spots with the department that we don't have to eat out of the budget later. Right. And so some of the benefits of a program like this, um, you know, a great example. So you guys are dedicated to the downtown businesses, but that doesn't mean that if there's something else going on that you guys don't help out uh, uh, elsewhere. And so that helps with some of the minimum staffing. It helps with when we're really, really busy. In fact, uh, just to kind of go off on a little tangent here, uh, it was a few Saturdays ago, uh, Sergeant Winding called me and let me know that there was that plane coming in, that they were going to have some type of crash. They didn't, or nobody was on scene yet, asked me to turn on my radio. And, uh, you know, what I heard throughout that was uh, you guys were super, super busy. I think at about the same time, uh, they had a stolen vehicle that uh, went to go flee, but then stopped and it was occupied four or five times. And that officer was out with that vehicle by itself for a while. So even though that you're dedicated to the downtown businesses, you were working that day and you were at both of those scenes and you cleared one to go to the other to help out for resources once we get depleted. Yeah, so I end up finding myself more and more on the 
high risk, um, high energy calls than when I was on patrol because I do have the availability to pick and choose when and where I go. And so I made it to the crash site, was able to direct some things before I heard about the stolen vehicle, possibly fleeing, rushed to that. And then as soon as I got there, I took over that. And then uh, one of the positives for being in the DBA and is that I, um, I have five years experience here at the Billings Police Department. So I end up having more experience, especially on weekends and a lot of the guys working on patrol. So I can show up to a scene, take over, um, especially as a supervisor is at the plane crash um, and direct that to its completion. And it just helps alleviate some of the burden that we had on patrol that day right. and any day that we ended up doing that. And I think that's, you know, as I'm listening to the radio that day, one of the things was apparent, you know, is that we had two serious calls that depleted all law enforcement resources in the city at any given time. So these partnerships with the community members, it helped. Even though it was one or two guys that day, it helped our ability to be able to respond when we take these these high resource calls. So mm-hmm. there's a huge benefit in that aspect. Um, you know, Sean, turning to you just for uh, you know a minute, that mm. that partnership and that contributions that the businesses are making and working with these officers and stuff like that. Um, you know, just this last Monday, uh, your organ, your uh, was the brew pub, I believe, and hooligans. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys held a benefit for Officer Kathy Brown, who um, is uh, fighting Wagner's disease. She's mm-hmm. at the Mayo Clinic right now, and you guys helped with a fundraiser. Can you tell me a little bit about that uh, event on Monday? Yeah, so I mean, just kind of circle back a little bit. We started that program about five years ago, and what it is is we call it Community Monday. And what we do is we donate 20% of our sales every week to a different community member that's in need, you know, maybe struggling with a disease, cancer. We've also done school groups. Uh, we've done sports teams, different organizations that need money. Um, for Kathy, we did an event for her to help raise money for her fight against Wagner's disease. It went really well. We had a lot of support from officers in town and we were able to fundraise over $5,000 for her and send that out to her. So it's wow. pretty incredible. Not only that we get so much support from businesses helping donate auction items, but the community is turning out and helping out. So it's a wonderful cause and we've had a lot of support. And at this point we've raised over $250,000 through the program. That's amazing. And that kind of like is a good pivot point for us to kind of start heading off on our conversation Mm -hmm. a little bit. And and my question to you is, you know, as a, as a citizen, non-law enforcement, but somebody who's engaged in the community, what does a, what does a healthy downtown, what does the healthy community look like and mean to you? Um, it's everything. I mean, we've invested a ton of time, money, resources and to developing and helping out with downtown. And the thing that we look for is just having a safe community where people feel comfortable. They can get out of their car. They can park anywhere. They can walk up and down the streets. And it's just a, a good downtown is just important for our city. You know, people want to come to Billings. They want to stay at one of our nice hotels downtown, go to the breweries, the restaurants that we have, be able to shop. And they want to be able to do that without, you know, in fear that somebody is going to harass them or panhandle. And that's really what we like to see, you know, it's just a nice, safe, clean. We've done a great job with, you know, that you mentioned having flowers and stuff downtown, decorating for Christmas, keeping the streets clean. All that stuff has been fantastic. But this is kind of the last step of just getting our transient problem in order so that people feel safe and comfortable being able to come down and support these businesses. Excellent. So what I'm hearing from you is, is that there's like this team approach Mm -hmm. of a, of a healthy downtown, you know, Brad talked about the DBA, you have 
other people who are paid for by the same funding as you do that mm-hmm. are there to clean up downtown, to you know water the flowers, to work mm-hmm. with businesses, to make sure things are going right when you guys are holding these events. Uh, same thing here, you know, on on the private side, you're working together with other organizations. You're helping more than uh, just law enforcement in the community with your fundraising. Mm-hmm. You're helping everybody in need. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. So one of the things I'm going to bring up now, we're going to kind of talk about is, is back in 2016, the city of Billings uh, had a livability report uh, established and they talked, it was basically a survey mm-hmm. and they talked about what is uh, the livability in, in, in Billings. And essentially they're looking at, is this, is the city, uh, not only is it just habitable, but is it a desire place to live? Mm-hmm. And is it also a place that's going to attract people to come here and, mm-hmm. and, and want to come there? And they, and they talk about the matrix uh, of what it, makes to make a good downtown obviously uh um, transportation um good uh pedestrian signals uh images perception um just the sight of the cleanliness and then obviously then there's the uh the safety the the safety functions in in this as well and this study was a uh, a sample of 395 residents of billings and they were asked some questions by this study and some of the things that it comes down to is is, is quality of life for uh, for a lot of the citizens who live here, and they they measured this based off of a national benchmark. And the and the two big things that were the most important from the survey were the safety and the economy. And this is where it comes in there, where law enforcement. We have the public safety portion of this, and then now we have the the businesses and the economy because they help fund the health the healthy city. One of the things that is kind of a uh, interesting is one of the ratings for overall feeling of safety and feeling of safety in billings in downtown commercial area um, we were lower in comparison communities while ratings for safety in neighborhoods was rated positively uh, by about nine and ten residents in similar to communities and so what this study showed was is that uh, the the perception of safety in your neighborhood was pretty significant people felt very safe in their neighborhoods here in billings but there's a perception that in the downtown areas that they're not as safe compared to other cities. Mm -hmm. Um, Sean, can you kind of speak to that a little bit in your own experiences? Yeah. I mean, owning a business and not only Billings, but in Helena and Missoula and both those businesses are located in downtowns. We're just seeing quite a different culture downtown. um, We don't really have any panhandling issues, any sort of harassment taking place in Helena, uh, rarely in Missoula. And down here, you know, we really struggle with, you just never know what's going to happen on that day. We have a lot more transients downtown. And I think one of the issues that we face in Billings directly is that our transients are a little more aggressive. In Missoula, they're a lot more laid back. They're not going to panhandle. They're not going to talk to you. But even walking down here from the brew pub to here, I got asked for money. And I think that's one of the issues that makes people feel uncomfortable because they want to be able to come down and enjoy our shops and enjoy our restaurants and and go to their job without having to have to be feel uncomfortable. And I think that's really what we have to get to a place that where, you know, obviously we're going to have transients, but how can we help them get to a place where they're not going to need to be out on the street, you know, constantly harassing and talking to people and being publicly intoxicated. Right. Brad, what's your, what's your take from your, your position? So, Coming into this, I did a bunch of research on the numbers beyond what I already knew. Um, we've different places like Billings Clinic through the crisis center have done studies saying that at any given time they expect there's thousand to two thousand homeless individuals in Billings, the whole city, 
um, talking with the crisis center, they, they know of more than 37 at any given night sleeping out on the streets. Um, that's just from their intake numbers. Um, we do have a large population of homeless individuals, um, but the number of homeless that are actually causing trouble is a very small minority in that group. Um, if we, for example, took a hundred homeless people, I bet we'd have five to six that are causing trouble. It's, it's a very, it's, it's like any crime statistic. It's, it's 5% of the population is creating all of the crime or majority of the crime. And, and that holds true for our homeless or our transient population. I know the chief has said it and I, I feel like it's a good example is we have, we have homeless and we have transiency and our homeless population, they don't cause issues. They're working on their problems or they're, they're getting to where they need to go. And they're, for one reason or another, they're, they're homeless at the moment. And then we have our transient population is that low minority of people in the homeless group um, that are committing crimes. There are panhandlers. Um, they're, a lot of their crime that they commit is either on stores in the form of theft and trespassing or it's on each other in the form of assaults. Um, we, we don't have, in the past two years, I can't think of a crime on an individual from a transient that wasn't also transient. Um, so that's kind of my experience right now. Okay. So let's, um, let's use that as a good point to distinguish uh, some of these problems because we're sticking this underneath a microscope. And I don't want the listeners to think that what we're talking about here makes the community just, it's so horrible, it's bad. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is, is we're digging down into this problem and we're having a, an unfiltered, brutal conversation about those issues. But it's, it's not a generalization of the mm-hmm. issue at whole. It's just what we mostly deal with for law enforcement on this spectrum. And I, th- I think it's a good point to talk about how that there's a lot of stereotypes that come with homelessness that, you know, they're all alcoholics, they're all drug addicts, they're, they're all, um, uh, you know, disparaged in some way, form or another. Um, but a lot of them have jobs. A lot of them have vehicles. Uh, they're down on their luck. The, the use of the homeless shelter or staying at a friend's place is temporary until they get back up on their feet. Um, and so I think it's real important to show that that's there, you know, most of the people, let's say at the, at the, at the men's rescue mission, um, we've have very little contact with a very, very few majority of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our contacts, it's, it's consistent with all of their criminal activity is that a small portion of the community commits most of the crimes or cause most of the problems. And that's what we're talking about here today. So don't, uh, uh, the, the listeners don't take to heart that we're, we're trying to check anyone into a box. We're talking about a very specific problem here in the community on that though. Um, you know, there's some, there's a lot of studies out there, but the, the, uh, the substance abuse and the mental health care issues, they go hand in hand with the homeless population. Um, you know, there's lots of studies that, you know, show obviously that addiction leads to uh, homelessness um, and also from homelessness can lead to addiction because of the environments that, that people are in. Uh, and those are as high as uh, some numbers are like 30 some percent for uh, substance abuse. And I think once we get to talking about the, the problems, the crimes being committed, the quality of life offenses that we're about ready to talk mm-hmm. about, I would say that those numbers of substance abuse and mental health issues are a lot higher than 30 or 40% in that population that we have constant problems with. Yep. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of where we're kind of where I think we're headed next. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I agree a hundred percent too. The I've been downtown for sixteen years now, and it's always the same people causing the problems. And it it is a minority of the transient homeless population, but it's definitely the five or ten people that are always causing the problems. 
So what are some of the things that you're seeing with your business? I know you mentioned it before, but like your customers that come in or some of the issues that you've had, give, give us some real examples of what that looks like. Sure. I mean, things have been a lot better this summer. I just want to point that out that last summer was by far our worst we've ever had in our history of being downtown. Uh, the big problem that we face is that it's more of harassment because it's not just like holding up a sign and saying like, Hey, can I get a couple bucks? They're physically, there's a group of people that will get in people's faces, demand money. And on top of that, you know, they're in a pretty rough shape where they're been drinking all day. And so it makes people really feel uncomfortable. And that's one of the major issues that we faced. And then having a patio that's right on the sidewalk, you know, that causes a lot of problems for us where we have them coming up to our customers, trying to eat, asking them for a meal or some money for some drinks. And those things just make people feel uncomfortable. And then it really hurts us moving forward because they're like, maybe I don't want to go downtown today and deal with that. Maybe I don't want my wife to go park and meet down there. Um, This year we installed some curtains on our patio to be able to put them down if we do have an issue right away as a deterrent to keep them moving on. And so has that helped? It has helped a ton. Um, We turn off our music right away outside on the patio because sometimes we'll have a dance party. And then we put the curtains down and usually in a couple of minutes, They'll keep moving on. Uh, okay. It was a big investment for us. We spent over $60,000 on that patio this summer to kind of help that because we understand we got to keep that patio open, especially with COVID, like it's been our lifeline this summer. Good. So that's kind of something that we can, we'll talk at in another podcast, but there's a, there's a program out there called SEPTED and it's basically mm-hmm. crime prevention through environmental design. Uh, and I know that the businesses and the DBA and the officers are pretty heavily involved in working with businesses to... Uh, reduce the crime uh, via environmental design, whether it be mm. shade, whether it be uh, strategies or whatever to try to minimize that impact. Brad, um, when we talk about the quality of life offenses, uh, you know, like what Sean was talking about, the aggressive solicit- solicitation, we have statutes and we have things, but I think it's uh, not a lot of people are aware that it's not illegal to be publicly intoxicated. Uh, it's not illegal to be in a public area. It's not illegal to ask somebody for money. Uh, but there are some city codes and some other laws that outline um, what they can and can't do because we're law enforcement is often found in a position where we have to support the constitutional rights of everybody to include the transient population, the homeless. Uh, and then we only get involved when there's some type of criminal criminal event or offense that we can get into because they're now impeding on somebody else's civil rights. So Brad, can you kind of speak to some of those offenses and and things that you deal with? Yeah. So the majority of offenses we find are trespassing or private property offenses, theft offenses. Usually those are very minor theft offenses under I'd say 20 or $30 food, alcohol, mainly alcohol. Um, we have a generalization tag called suspicious individual or suspicious call. And that more falls under if nothing else classifies. They're doing something weird. It may or may not be illegal. Someone calls it in. We don't know how to classify it. It becomes a suspicious. We have disturbances, which can be physical or verbal altercations. And then um, a big one we have that isn't actually crime is uh, welfare checks is what we do. And so that's someone passed out on the side of the road or on the sidewalk or on a bench. And so those are the, the main things that I, myself, and then anybody working in the downtown area um, end up handling. And so one of the big ordinances we have, it's it's the panhandling ordinance. It's called commercial solicitation, aggressive solicitation. And it lays out in about nine rules everybody has to follow. And this is everybody, not just transient population for panhandling. Um, 
and panhandling on public property is legal if all of these rules are followed. Um, and what ends up happening is that they get followed to a point and then once someone's refused, if they ask again, if they get more aggressive, that that's actually a violation. You can't, and no one can get aggressive in asking for money. You can't ask for money within 20 feet of an ATM. Um, it has to be on public property. You can't panhandle on private property unless you have the express written permission from a business owner. And to this day, I don't know of any business owner that's ever approved that. Um, and I don't think anyone's ever even gone to them. Um, they have to, they can panhandle cars from the road, but they have to do it on the sidewalk and they have to do it with a sign. So you can't stop cars with your person. You can't flag cars down. You have to have a sign and the sign has to tell the truth. Um, part of our loss is you can't lie on the sign. And a lot of times that comes in the form of claiming military service without ever having been in the military, a stolen valor type situation. Um, that's the majority of our infractions on that one, which for the most part, unless you know the subject, it's kind of hard to call them out on that. Um, but I myself know in our downtown population, I've caught a few of those military service signs and I know they did not. Um, and for the most part, we just make them get rid of that sign and move on because of that. And the other offenses that we come upon, those are the the theft to continue to drinking. And then we don't have intoxicated in public, but we do have an open container violation law. Um, you can't drink alcohol in public unless you're at a facility such as a bar or a restaurant or a residence um, where it would be legal then. And so the majority of issues we see are people drinking openly in public, whether it's on bus benches, on the side of the road, on private property, open to the public. Um, that That's where a lot of our problems spawn from as well. So how much of your day or what percentage of your work is just going around and trying to deal with these quality of life offenses? When I'm not in meetings, which is not every day with different service providers around town, um, about 100% of the day. Um, it's very rare that a business will call me for a theft outside of the transient population or for a burglary or um, speeders on the road in their area. Um, that's not very common. Um, I've yet to get a call from a business about an employee committing a theft, um, even though that would be within the realm of my, the scope of my duties. Um, I get 10, 15 calls a day from business owners on an average day, and every single one of them is about the transient population either trespassing on their property, um, sleeping on their property, passed out on their property. Public urination is very common because we don't have any public bathrooms in Billings. All of our bathrooms are tied to businesses and lots of those are customer only bathrooms and so almost everything i do is tied to that so i kind of want to like hit home some of this perception feel because how many how often do you take a call about aggressive solicitation from just a someone in the community not a business owner or someone random that's not very common um we will get calls for panhandling or solicitation um, because people just don't like being solicited in the first place, but for the aggressive part of it, that's not as common. Um, a lot of people don't realize you can panhandle. You can ask someone for money on the side of this, on the sidewalk or from a car with a sign. Uh, so we'll get calls on that. And that, that's more of a misconception that people can do that. Um, but the aggressive part, a lot of people, once they've been turned down, they will let it go. Yeah. 
And so Sean, you made mention mm-hmm. earlier that even just on the way over here before this recording that you were solicited mm-hmm. for, for funds from a transient as well. Um, just to kind of help put that, that uh, going back to the study and the perception of the public safety here mm-hmm. in, in Billings, especially the downtown area. So I did go to the, the benefit for, for Monday for Kathy and I, I parked downtown and there was um, about 15 transients sitting on one of the benches right there at the mm-hmm. North 28th and, and First North. Yeah, right under Sky Point. That's right. exactly where I got asked today. Yep. yep. And and so I, knowing that this podcast was coming up, we'd been talking about this for weeks because we wanted to we want to have this conversation. I just kind of sat there and I watched. Mm-hmm. And you know, they weren't blocking the sidewalk, but people were people were walking across the street mid street to cross to the other side to avoid mm-hmm. the confrontation or uh, to even be solicited. Um, they also uh, sitting there. There were some bags mm-hmm. down by the, the the chairs, and one one of them reached down and then grabbed an open container, drank out of it, passed it around, looking for cops, making sure they're not there, and they put it put it back into a bag. Um, you know, some of them were for yelling, laughing, hugging each other, and and a couple things became real apparent to me. You know, going back onto the human humanizing side of them. You know, mm-hmm. that's their that's their group. That's their support group. That's their socialization. You know, they're they're people like you and I, but uh, what they're doing is making people uncomfortable. Uh, but then we get to the illegal portion, and that's the open container that mm-hmm. results in the public intoxication. And it's not hard to believe that somebody would feel uncomfortable if they, you know, if your wife had your kid and they were walking down the street and somebody's intoxicated to the point that they're enraged, you probably wouldn't f- feel very safe. So that helps contribute to the problem or the mm-hmm. perception. Of safety, so so Brad, talk about some of your tools that you use um, to try to help solve some of these problems. So I think the biggest one we have right now is I know almost all of them by name. Um, if I get a call from a business owner, they give a quick description. I'll nine times out of ten, I'll know who they're talking about. I can show up and I know how to deal with that person. I've gotten their story, um, and I can de-escalate them if they're amped up because I know who they are. I know they're either trigger points or they're what might bring them down. Um, I know where they're at in their either recovery or sobriety or in their, their cycle of addiction. Um, for a lot of these guys, if they need to get somewhere, I'll know what the appropriate solution is. If they need to go to the, the crisis center and meet with one of their case managers, his name is Dave. Everyone in the community knows Dave if you're homeless and they all love him. He's an awesome case manager and counselor. Um, or do I need to take them down to St. Vincent de Paul, get some food in them if it's around lunchtime? Do I need to um, move them up towards Billings Clinic because they're so intoxicated they have to they have to have medical attention like they're they're a medical risk at this point um and so just getting to know them which is one of the benefits of my position is that i can know how to tailor what kind of interaction i need to have with every individual um we do have some awesome service providers in our city and they're working on some big changes coming up as well to help the population even more um and with that is just knowing who i can take where riverstone's got a health care for the homeless clinic downtown and they have a nurse and medical staff on scene. They have licensed addictions counselors, and they're open almost every day of the week. Um, they always have openings and availability. So I have, I have tools where I can take people if I need to. If they're not willing to go that route, I have the ability to issue citations for the trespass or the open container violations. We did have an open container program that worked as a, a pseudo drug court Um 50% of that program was using the jail if they weren't willing to follow the program because we don't have availability right now in, with COVID and our jail being full anyways, that program went away and it's currently on hold. If we bring it back, I 
don't know at this point. Um, and then with that, we have the businesses that sell alcohol. And some of them work really well with us and some not as well, um, to put it kindly. And so I'll use the Conoco on North 26th Street as an example. Um, the owner there has got a running list of all the people that he's personally, him or his employees have seen violations. And they have kind of a three strikes you're out rule. And if you go in and you buy alcohol from them and they watch you open that can out in public, that's one strike. You come back in and you panhandle on the corner and you go in and buy alcohol, that's another strike. They're not... Um, you cause a disturbance in the parking lot or they see you fighting, say, across the street at Burger King, that's your third strike. And now they won't sell to you uh, for a year. They do no trespassing. They won't call us. They don't call and tell us that. That's just what he does for his business. Um, and his list is long. Um, and then he reevaluates it every year. Or if someone comes in and kind of explains themselves or makes it known that they're changing, he'll he'll take them off their list. He'll give them a chance. Um, but all of these people, he only strikes them from the list for alcohol they can still come in and buy food water um any other service that, that the conoco offers they're still available for that except for the sale of alcohol so we see a very low number of calls for service at that business compared to every other business in that area um the albertsons has hired private security and so they make sure that no one's stealing alcohol they make sure that people who've either bought already in the day or are highly intoxicated and aren't coming in because they can't sell to them. Um, so they're working on curbing their own problem downtown as well. So our enforcement ability is pretty small right now, given that we can't send people to jail. Um, and most of the tickets we give out are come with the caveat of I'm going to do it anyways when we're issuing them. So we're trying to come up with those solutions and that's kind of what the Conoco's done and um, what all these other service providers with their addictions counselors are doing. And so we just keep trying to come up with solutions to the problem. Every time one doesn't work, we'll come up with another one and keep trying until they, until we get somewhere. And we have been. So I think you bring up a really good point to kind of dig into this just a little bit deeper with, um, you know, and, and I think in part two, we want to go more into some of these uh, precursor resources prior to law enforcement involvement. Cause I think a lot of times law enforcement's looked at as a frontline defense to these issues when we, sh- we should be a last line defense, incarceration, uh, citations, arrests, that kind of thing should be a, a last offense. But we have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, a good criminal justice system with a jail, the ability to incarcerate, to enforce the laws is part of that healthy system. And, and what I've been hearing from you, Brad, is, is even from that, you know, we're, we're partnering with other people. We're doing things to try to get these people to resources prior to having to intervene with criminal offenses or arrest or incarceration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once it gets to that, where those resources aren't being used or they haven't worked, uh, and that we're left with somebody who continues to violate the law, we need the ability to, to incarcerate. And so you brought up the MAP program just mm-hmm. a little bit. That was kind of like a, um, a drug court program where uh, their success was related to their incarceration uh, at YCDF, as well as you know uh, during these COVID times, we're not able to incarcerate anything but high level felonies, offenses against persons, or get permission to do that. So uh, at this time, it seems like everything's kind of stacking up. The MAP program has been put off the side because of the the inability to incarcerate or work with the court system. And we don't have the ability, you could write a ticket right now, but you can't take them anywhere. They could not show up for court and get a warrant and they still can't go anywhere. I think the most uh, egregious Thing that I've heard about that system kind of failing so far recently is we had one of our, our, our local transients who's been around forever. He had something like over 50 warrants for his arrest 
and 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 the courts we just quashed them they just they got rid of them uh because at what what point can you not are, are you just adding more warrants and warrants and warrants on top of warrants on top of warrants and there's there's no solution at the end of that pipeline uh so the ability for law enforcement to be able to incarcerate in some of those circumstances is a challenge we also had some uh, legislative changes in like 2017 with some of the criminal justice reform that decriminalized a lot of first offense misdemeanor crimes and uh, that's first offense within a within a year, and that's a conviction. Uh, and so, there are some challenges that have been kind of been working against us on the law enforcement side of, of some tools and solutions when all other of those services have uh, have failed. So, uh, do you is that palpable to you? Do you notice that uh, on the uh, reoffending crime rate since we can't take anybody to jail right now for for these smaller smaller offenses? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes into two points. One, everyone on the street knows all the transient population that's currently causing these kind of crimes knows they're not going to go to jail. Um, and they expressed to Officer Nichols and I, whenever we stop them, dump out the alcohol they have that's open, issue them tickets or warnings. They, what are you going to do? When we get challenged, several of them will yell at us, try to get in our faces. It's it, in a different world. I mean, they would be going to jail. We would be solving a problem that day right there. Um, and we're getting challenged by people who never would have challenged us last year or two years ago. Um, and we have the record for warrants served was 31. And I had that last year and I served the 52 from the gentleman last month. And we've got people, um, probably more than 10 people sitting at 40 warrants or more right now. Um, and all of those are for trespass, open container, um, and maybe some low-level misdemeanor fights that they have or public urination. And so the court system is getting so overburdened with tickets, but they have no solution either. Um, well, that's the change that I've seen too, mm -hmm. is that if you look at being downtown for 16 years now, when they lost the fear of getting in trouble, things escalated quickly. And you've seen that in the last two or three years to where to the point where they know that they can drink and aggressively panhandle and there won't be anything that'll happen to them. And once that mentality is taken on, we're just in a bad spot and that's where we're at right now. I mean, we deal with the same people constantly and it's like, they don't care because they know that nothing's going to happen to them. If you get to the point where you have that many warrants out and you've done it repeatedly over and over and over again and nothing's happened to them, why wouldn't they stop? I mean, they're just going to keep doing it. So, I mean, that's, that's our big problem. We, and I know you're going to get into this later, but it's just the fact that we need more jail cells so we can take people in and let them know this is serious. Like we're not going to tolerate it. When we get to that point, it's going to fix it instantly. But right now, you know, all these programs are gone. We have no jail cells for them to go. What's stopping them? You know, and off of that, one of the big things we used to have was the jail was holding some transients in jail at any given time. There was always someone serving a sentence. And so there was a certain amount of them that weren't on the street at any given time. Now we have 100% of the population out on the street. And it, this summer has been a pretty big party, I would say, mm -hmm. um, because of it. And with that, with the MAP program, one success they had was once someone was in jail for, say, a week, um, our resource outreach coordinator would go in through the DBA to the jail, meet with people, whether that was right then and there or over the course of a week, they would do counseling in the jail. Um, and make work on getting an agreement with them between the court and the inmate, the offender, that if they got out of jail and went, out to, went to outpatient treatment, and originally it was the a AA-style meeting, an Alcoholics Anonymous-style meeting, 
for 30 days or whatever was left on that sentence, um, they could be out. They wouldn't have to be in jail. They could go to treatment and they could work on bettering themselves. And if they had so many missed meetings, they, they could be revoked back to jail. And that was a big driving force in that program. And that's what made it partially successful was it's not that we were putting people in jail, but we were able to meet them sober with a counselor and with resources ready to go. And that was that step that someone needed because they weren't going to do it on their own. We see that the people aren't going to, um, addicts aren't just going to do it on their own in this population. Um, I don't want to generalize all addicts, but without some other step, the carrot and the stick is kind of what the example is given. Um, without that step at the jail, we can help you get out of here. We can help you get sober, stay sober, come to our classes. Um, without all of that together, we, we don't have a program and that we're seeing the deficit of that right now or the, the effect of that right now. You guys are hitting on like the fundamentals of kind of this healthy community and like the basics of law enforcement, but it's well known that consequences or penalties do have an effect on criminal offenses or the commission mm -hmm. of, of crimes. Um, and then the other part is, is getting back to law enforcement, being that kind of that last gap in protecting the community from these violations uh, that kind of affect that public safety perception is that if this select group chooses not to, refuses to, or just doesn't because of how addicted they are or the mental health issues that they, they have, uh, there has to be a course or a recourse for us to be able to help uh, remedy those. And, and these programs that you're talking about, uh, whether it's increased jail space for periods of time, for us to be able to slow the momentum of this down. And, and here's where it kind of really builds uh, to being very important. Right now, you know, because we're in law enforcement, I, 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 downtown is not an unsafe place. And I get the perception from people when they come downtown and they see this kind of stuff that, that they can get there. Uh, but knowing, knowing the crimes, being able to read the reports, a lot of the violent crime, the stabbings that you read about, the, uh, the assaults, that kind of stuff is transient on transient crime. Uh, and in a moment, I'll have you kind of speak to that, Brad, because those are really difficult cases to, to prosecute and arrest for. Uh, and, and, and take care of those. And we have very little uh, spillover at this point into what we would call um, basically your civilian population where somebody's just randomly walking down the street and gets stabbed or assaulted or... I agree with that, but I've also, uh, in my lifetime, I've probably had north of 50 physical altercations myself with transients. Okay. Um, that's probably because they've gotten to know me and, you know, asking them to move on and stuff and trying to take care of a problem on our own without having to go to law enforcement. But I've definitely been there before. And I, I think the downtown is safe. I think that this, and I think you're a hundred percent right. This is more of a problem with violent stuff happening between each other, but there has been a lot of cases where maybe they're not reported, but it does happen. And I mean, it is a problem. And, you know, once highlighted earlier was private security. I mean, we were at the point last year where we met with two private security companies to have somebody come down and just patrol in front of our business. And that's a sad day when we have to get to that point. And that goes back to not having any fear of being in trouble. Yep. And I think that's what's going to ultimately what we'll see if we can't get a, a grasp on some of that here is that those uh, citizen encounters are going to are going to increase as well and that's not a direction that we as a, a city i don't believe that we want to go that direction um 
Brad, can you speak to a little bit about some of the challenges of some of these more serious violent crimes, these stabbings, these violent assaults that occur, transient and transient, some of the challenges that you face trying to uh, build a case and then prosecute to, to try to uh, uh, do your job? Yeah, there are lots of reasons why a case wouldn't go to completion through sentencing. Um, for the most part, when I encounter, and this is some of the five years I've been here, not just since I've been at the DBA, but um, the transient population isn't big on being a victim. Part of that might be um, some mental health or blaming guilt. There's all sorts of reasons why someone doesn't want to be a victim, but um, it's kind of like the cliche prison um, mentality of, you know, you got to be tough and not a victim. And the streets are kind of that way as well with the transient population. They, they want to be tough to each other. They don't want to appear weak. No one wants to be weak. They don't want to be preyed upon by other transients. Um, so when an assault occurs or a fight or a stabbing, um, for the most part, they won't make the report. If we find them, say, for a stabbing or they're unconscious, um, they will deny. If they're unconscious, we'll make a report anyways and catch up with them later to, to get more details. At that point, most of the time, they refuse a report. I can think of two stabbings this summer uh, between two different transient groups, um, and both of them, after they were contacted later, refused um, to make a report, suspect known, victim known, circumstances known then both times they, they they absolutely refuse to prosecute a case um part of that is because they say one told me the the streets will sort it out whatever that means is what it means i guess um but the other part is the county or city attorney's office has a very hard time getting a hold of these victims later to get them into court to be confronted to confront their um assaulter or um the person who harmed them um, and that would be the other reason why cases don't get prosecuted is we can't get our victim to come back into court well, because they're homeless. They don't have an address for mail. They may not be in town at that point. They may um, just miss court. Lots of them, lots of people just miss court. They don't have a planner or a phone, something to keep track of the days. Um, and so we have just so many things working against the criminal justice system for people to make those reports and get um, justice. And I think somebody listening to this right now might be shaking their head, but there's only a few, there's only a few crimes that we can press charges without the cooperation of a victim. Obviously, homicide is one of those because you know they're they're not alive anymore. We can act on their behalf. Uh, the other one is is domestic violence crimes. Those are ones that we can uh, the state can pursue charges without that. But otherwise, uh, if you're a victim of a shooting or a stabbing or some other violent crime, if you say no, I don't want to press charges, I don't want to be a victim of it, and you don't want to participate, then that's the end of the case. There, mm -hmm. uh, we don't have the ability to just incarcerate because somebody stabbed somebody else. We have to have the participation of of all parties. I just want to highlight a story too from last summer about how when we don't have an opportunity to take somebody to jail that's causing a lot of problems. So we had a three-week period with a gentleman that almost every day we had to make a call on him. He was standing in the street, blocking the sidewalks, being super aggressive. And it finally got to the point where this gentleman attacked me and tried to fight me with a wheelchair, which was interesting because he was using the wheelchair as a way to panhandle that he wasn't able to walk. And then he was able to, when I confronted him, to jump out of his wheelchair like Usain Bolt and chase after me. And that finally was the step for him to finally go to jail, which I did press charges against him. Um, but that's that's the, the sad reality that we face if we can't get to that point before we get to that level. 
you know, and it, we can see, and it, it's unfortunate because it's just such a small few, but if we can get the, that small few off the streets, that's just going to make everybody feel a lot better. Yeah. Can you, Sean, can you uh, speak to a little bit about even just like, um, even some of like the littering, the image perception of some of the, the trash that gets left downtown over the course of just an evening? Well, we're pretty blessed that we have the street team cleaning things up. And one program that I would like to see in the future that if we can't take anybody to jail, that they're issued some sort of a community service program where they have to come downtown and clean up their mess or help clean up the streets and pitch in. I don't know how we can do that. I don't know how we can make them do that, but I think like some sort of community service. So if I get caught publicly drinking, public urination, you know, they're like, all right, you just got slapped with two hours of community service. That would help a ton. It's pretty frustrating. You know, we chip in, we, we spend a lot of money to support the DBA and pay taxes to keep the streets clean. So it's frustrating when it, let's say if we have an event like a big live after five and we stay out till 10 PM, sweeping up every single piece of trash and then come out in the morning and there's litter everywhere because they ransack the dumpsters and try to get half a beer out of the trash can and the whole trash cans all over the place. It's hard to see because a lot of people are working hard to keep everything clean. And there's just a lack of respect for our community from that certain sect of individuals that just, they don't care. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating. You know, uh, uh, not in the in that downtown district, but uh, Jason and Amy with Liberty and Vine, mm-hmm. they've uh, several times have tried to band part of the community together to to do uh, just basically trash runs there along Montana to sure. to pick up all the garbage because it, of all of the blight and unsightliness that it causes. Yeah, and I mean, it, going to that store, I mean, it makes me feel sad because when they went into that location, they're trying to revitalize an area of town that people won't go to. And unfortunately in my head, when they opened up, I was like, oh, this is gonna be a tough spot to be in because you got that underpass right there. You got people coming and going and just with a lot of like, you know, we have to have a ton of lighting that helps out a ton too, I've noticed, like the better we light, but having a dark area like that, bad things are gonna happen. Yeah, so you're talking about like different areas of town. Ultimately, Brad, without the ability to incarcerate, uh, do you find yourself just pushing the problem around? Yes. So whenever we implement a program like the MAP program, we found back then that once people realized we were enforcing things downtown, they did spread out. Um, And now that 100% of our population is on the streets, instead of some being in jail, some maybe being in prison, um, and then COVID's pushed people on the streets as well from other towns. I feel like people have either gotten stopped on the bus here or um, they've made their way here somehow. So downtown is saturated so to speak and so there are transients in other parts of town right now um, you can go to walmart uh, planet fitness or albertson's on the west end you're going to find 10 to 12 transients at any given spot around there and we're getting calls daily for them um, you can go to walmart target and heights the underpass under main street in the 300 block um, kind of by applebee's you're going to find 10 to 15 transients in that area um, between bottles and shots and and the Albertsons, there's there's a group that go up there and the transients end up being very territorial. And so there are transients that won't cross 6th to go south. There are transients that won't cross 28th to go west. Um, everyone's kind of got their area. Um, and so with that, right now, I'm not pushing anybody out because we're not making much for enforcement, but the population size is pushing each other and spreading people out amongst the whole town. Um, and we really see that with our calls for service right now. 
and interesting point there too because i live out in blue creek and we have a pretty safe area to live in rarely do ever have a call or anything happen in the last year we've actually had a transient problem out there which is pretty incredible but we've had five different times where we've had people sleeping in yards out there which is just incredible to me and a lot of it is if you see every day when i come into work we have transients going up and down the highway heading out to prior you know trying to get a ride and they they can't get all the way out there so they'll start walking from downtown to the south side walk all the way out get to about where briarwood is and realize they're not going to get a ride and end up camping out in somebody's yard asking people for money or food and that's been a big shift and we've seen it quite a bit this summer and i've never seen that before and i've lived out there for almost a decade so i think too that's kind of important to talk about right now is is, is this the, the group that we're dealing with that causes a majority of the problems obviously there's resources that they they have whether they're choosing not to utilize them or or they're not because of uh, whatever they're dealing with whether it's addiction or mental mental health issues but we all, and that's a small portion of this this homeless section. But then even out of that group there, we also have a group that comes to Billings from other cities or places, and it's a place for them for them to come and party because mm-hmm. there's alcohol here, the friends are here, that kind of thing. They'll come in town for a week or two, uh, they'll drink, have a good time, and then and the, and they'll leave for a period of time as well. And so there's some challenges that we face of of dealing with you know, the lack of the jail space, the lack of the ability to enforce some of these things, and then the types of, of um, groups of individuals that are coming into town to that, that are causing most of these problems. Our ban on alcohol on the Native American reservations is one of our biggest problems that we face because they can't have access to alcohol. A lot of them are addicts and alcoholics, and unfortunately they're not able to get what they would like to get on the reservation and they're forced to come to Billings. And I think that's why we see a bigger problem here than I do in Helena or Missoula because they're just not that close of an access to there. And here it's like, they want to get drunk. They can't do it. They got to come to Billings. And that's why you see, you know, you know, people have mentioned before that there's been buses coming from Hardin into Billings, you know, and I see every single day hitchhikers out on the highway towards Pryor every single day. Wintertime, it's scary sometimes. I feel terrible seeing a guy walk down the road with a t-shirt on the wintertime, but it happens. And that's for one reason, to come down here and have a party. Yeah. So I think we'll, uh, we're going to get into some of that, I think, in maybe the next session. We talk about resources and some of these solutions because this problem is it's not an easy solution. It's not an easy problem either. And I think if it was, we would already have the solution for that, but it's very complex. Billings has lots of resources uh, where, the, where we're geographically located in specific areas that creates our own unique problem here in Billings. Um, with that being said, I think that's a pretty good place for us to kind of kind of drift out of the conversation. Is there anything that either of you think that we, we didn't cover or... Um, I just want to assure about? the community one thing though, that we are safe this is a safe community to live in. I'd never live in fear, like parking downtown, coming to work, parking in a parking garage at night. That's not the concern. The concern is that we just want to be better than where we're at. We just want to be a better city. We want to be, you know, we want to be looked at as the best city in Montana, the most livable city in Montana. And the only way that we can do that is fix this problem. And I don't know the answer to that. I One part would be more jail cells. and But obviously we need to have programs that are going to actually work to get people out of the cycle. And that's really what we need to do here. And I mean, so I don't want people to take away the like, I can't come downtown. That's not the issue. 
the issue is that we just have to find a better way to handle these situations. And I, th- and I think we are, and you bring up a good point that we can kind of keep going a little bit more. Uh, Brad, would you talk about the out, uh, outreach resource coordinator that uh, works with you? Yeah, so the DBA has a resource outreach coordinator hired, and as of right now, his, um, his name is Cody Christensen Litton, and he's been in the community for years now. He's, he's a big... Um, supporter of downtown and recovery and different mental health and substance abuse groups. And right now he's kind of the go-between for about every service in town. Um, Because everyone plays really well with themselves, but doesn't play well with others um, when it comes to service providers. One, they're competing for the same grants. They're competing for the same customer base. And so he, he's been the middleman. We've trying to get everybody on the same page, find out where all our resources are, um, you know, if we have a licensed addictions counselor, the mental health center that, that might have openings, but we can't make a guarantee, but we can find one down at Riverstone. That's, that's open every other day. Um, we wouldn't ever know that if he did not been doing that outreach, um, and trying to find where we can have and how to best use the services without, um, everyone doing the same, um, the same work and not realizing duplicate, um, what's the duplicating effort, I guess. Um, and so we, he's been working on trying to get some of that um, taken care of. And then one of the things just wanted to touch on is I ran a bunch of statistics on our calls for service downtown. And any one place downtown does have a fair amount of calls from Iran just the summer months. And if you look at the holiday or Albertsons or Denny's downtown, they seem to have a high number of calls. And those calls are all the transient related activity that we talked about um, but if I look at other places around town in the same time frame um, they actually have more calls um, you look at the Walmarts you look at Target Shields um, many of our big shopping centers um, many big public open to the public areas they have as many calls for service if not more um, than a lot of our downtown businesses and that's just perception um, some will park quarter mile away in a Walmart parking lot and walk in and not feel unsafe. Um, But they have a hard time parking around the block downtown because they feel it's unsafe. Their perception is unsafe. Um, But Walmart has more calls in any given time than anywhere downtown does. Um, And so I think that's one of the things we just need to work on is our perception. And the DBA is doing that with community art and installations, trying to keep it clean um, doing everything we can on the front end to, to keep that perception positive. And just one thing on the calls real fast. I mean, one of the best things that the DBA has done is added their officers downtown. And the reason for that is, is not only just having a presence all the time, but it's to give not just business owners, but people the lifeline to call his cell phone directly rather than have to tie up a 911 call. I can explain exactly what's going on to him. I don't have to go through a middle person. And that's been a wonderful resource and we need that. And hopefully we can expand the program in the future. So there's coverage all the time, but just being able to make a quick call, they're able to go handle the situation. That's been such a relief for us because in the past 15 years ago, I was that person out front, you know, talking to them, trying to get them to move on. And then we evolved to where we don't want to call 911 all the time. You know, we used to call non-emergency, but now having that cell phone, being able to direct contact, this is what's going on. And, you know, a lot of time they're on the bike, so they're there instantly. And that's just been a real blessing to us. And they're able to hang out for a while too. And just, you know, they have their cell phone on them. They can hang out for 
30 minutes, make sure they don't come back. And all those things have been great steps toward just making everybody feel a lot better about the situation. And I think those are all great points. You guys are, are uh, the, the conversation here has been great because I think when we talk about the perception, I think we have to talk about this problem so people understand it. Uh, and that kind of will remove some of those unknowns or, or those fears. So, uh, Sean, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And all you guys do for our community. Thank uh, you. Likewise. Uh, we, we appreciate the, the partnership and then, uh, Brad, thanks for your time as well. Um, and there you have it folks. That'll end episode two and, uh, we'll be back with more in episode three for a part two of this. And we're going to talk, uh, some more issues and solutions.